You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. And welcome to the 1918th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 2nd of March 2023. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts, the producer is a Colin Holmes, and your readers are Neil Keeley and Sue Cunningham Snell. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And we will open with the headlines as usual. And Neil, I think you have the first one. Help us to tackle veg shortages. Farmers plea as supermarket shelves lay bare. The final piece of the jigsaw is in place as Link reopens. A14 works, leaving villages landlocked. New statue of Suffolk entertainer Roy Hudd could be built. Suffolk farmers are calling on the government to take urgent action to prevent future food shortages as a nationwide shortage of fruit and vegetables leaves supermarket shelves bare. Retailers have warned that a shortage of tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers and lettuce could last weeks. Supermarkets such as Asda, Morrison's, Tesco, Lidl and Aldi are restricting sales of the ration foods per customer. Tomato growers in particular have been pointing to soaring energy prices, saying it pushed back the start of the UK season and created a heavier reliance on imports this winter. William Hudson, who helped to set up the degree course in regenerative farming at Rittle Agricultural University, had three words on the matter. Supermarkets, supermarkets, supermarkets. He believes that the government has for many years bought food from anywhere in the world simply because we have enough money to afford it. Mr Hudson added, they've done very little to create any form of resilience in our food system. We are now addicted to cheap food. As for the current shortages, he says the farms, he says that farms were encouraged to get bigger because the returns were less, meaning the small to medium scale horticultural businesses which focused on salad vegetables are now less frequent. In fact, Mr Hudson has experienced this himself as his family's strawberry farm had to close as it could not keep up with the supermarkets. I believe that we have to rebuild our whole food system, much smaller farms and much smaller supply chains. Andrew Blenkiron is director of the Euston Estate and chairman of the Suffolk branch of the National Farmers Union. This year he will be planting 300 acres less of crops, replacing irrigated root crops such as potatoes, onions, parsnips and carrots with sugar beet. Mr Blenkiron said, In the farming industry we make decisions so far in advance because we want to make sure that our customers are satisfied and we don't overpromise anything. Water is in tight supply this year and we're going to struggle to fill our reservoirs, so it made the decision to switch to sugar beet much easier. Sugar beet is a plant grown commercially for sugar production and is a crop which requires less water to grow. Mr Blenkiron says this decision will not affect consumers for a considerable amount of time because enough of last year's crops have been set aside to last through to July. Looking at the year ahead, he says it will be interesting to see how farmers across the region have decided to grow their land. Carrots and salad potatoes could be in shorter supply through the summer. But it really does depend on what harvest there is, because things can vary by 25% year on year, just based on weather conditions. He added that the current supermarket shortages, which have mainly affected tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers and lettuces, could be a common occurrence going forward. Retailers will be looking to source elsewhere 
if UK crops fail, and this is a threat to our farming, said Mr Blenkiron. A lot of other countries also don't have high environmental standards as the UK, which means we're hampered with those extra costs. As a whole, he believes this points to the fundamental issue of national food security, saying the government should do more to address this problem. We wouldn't have run out of the foods we're seeing supermarkets rationing at the moment if the government had been more supportive of UK farmers, he added. The long closed link between the old and new in Bury St Edmunds was opened on Wednesday. The wider and improved market thoroughfare connecting the Ark Shopping Centre with the historic town centre had been closed for two and a half years as the former post office site was redeveloped. West Suffolk's Council's contractor, Barnes Construction, has been redeveloping 17 to 18 Corn Hill with the overall transformation expected to be complete next month. Part of the redevelopment has been the width of the market thoroughfare link, increased by more than 50% to 3.8 metres. Councillor John Griffiths, West Suffolk Council leader, said it's more than 50% wider at ground floor level, while the clever design with the second archway from Corn Hill and the glass windows of the commercial units makes the space much lighter and brighter. This is a great culmination of work over many years to improve the town centre, bringing together the new and the old. It's a wonderful next step, which should make Bury an even more beautiful place to live, work and visit. Once complete, the redevelopment will include 12 flats with 9 under offer and 2 shops. Councillor Sarah Brighton, Cabinet Member for Resources and Property, said, We have some significant interest in the commercial units while we are pushing for a completion date, so we can finalise the sale of the apartments. The redevelopment also keeps the Victorian front to Corn Hill, while a new frontage has been created onto St Andrews Street South. It is hoped this could prove a catalyst to private landowners and developers to enhance the street scene. Councillor Susan Glossop, Cabinet Member for Growth and Improving This Connection between the Ark Cornhill and Buttermark, was one of the key things people asked us to deliver in the 8,000 public comments we received when we consulted on the Town Centre Master Plan in 2017. Councillor Sarah Maldmay-White, portfolio holder for Housing and Strategic Health, said, I have been a councillor for 26 years. I was at the beginning of the ARC development and at the end of the ARC, and now the final piece of the jigsaw is in place. I am absolutely thrilled. A West Suffolk Council spokesman said the post office project was being modelled on the basis of cost-neutral scheme, with the conclusion of the build, sale of the flats and the commercial units soon to become available to rent. An MP has hit out at Highways bosses for, quote, poor communications and lack of planning, unquote, over 16 months of repair works on the A14, which started this week. Joe Churchill, MP for Bury St Edmunds and Stowe Market, said some communities had been landlocked due to diversions in place for the work along the stretch of road in Hawley and Tot Hill near Stowe Market. The resurfacing project between Junction 47A and Junction 49 began on Monday and will also see new road markings and reflective studs installed. Mrs Churchill said she felt National Highways communication had been lacking after the organisation promised to keep key key stakeholders, including Suffolk Chamber of Commerce, informed. She said, with their poor communications and lack of planning, National Highways risks hurting the prospects and increasing the costs of local businesses. This is not good enough. 
A national highway spokesman said they understood living near roadworks was not easy, but the diversion route was agreed with local authorities and it had raised awareness of the overnight closures via its website, media, information events and residents' letters. It said it had contacted Mrs Churchill four times dating back to October about survey works, public information events and its start date. It had also sent e-bulletins to county, parish and town councillors. However, Mrs Churchill said the potential impact of the diversions on communities was a major concern. At a recent meeting with Highways, we asked them to look at funding community speed watch programmes to minimise speeding on roads within the diversion zone, she said. They have failed even to give the basic courtesy of responding to correspondence, which outlined ideas put forward by constituents and my office. The diversions, coupled with some already ongoing roadworks, has managed to landlock some areas affecting businesses and residents. Whilst we all appreciate the works are needed, the methods of communication and planning is of concern and needs to improve swiftly. A recent National Highways briefing from Friday, February the 17th, which lists the company's regional projects and schemes, missed out the major A14 roadworks. Paul Simon, Suffolk Chamber of Commerce's Head of Public Affairs, said the A14 in Suffolk is a corridor of national economic significance. It is also a key route to market for the keen sectors in the county, including logistics. When we met with National Highways, we asked to be kept proactively up to date with the programme. This has not happened. We were also promised information as to how the project's negative impact on businesses could be mitigated. Again, this has not happened. Mrs Churchill and Suffolk Chamber called for an urgent meeting with National Highways to address their concerns. To install a contraflow system, the A14 will be shut overnight between Junction 43 and 51, Monday to Friday, from 8pm to 6am, until March 28th. National Highways said additional signage on the diversion route would be deployed as well as a speed camera van at key points on that route. The spokesman said, We understand living near a roadworks is not easy and we appreciate people's patience as we carried out work to install the contraclose system for our upcoming A14 concrete road reconstruction scheme between Hawley and Tot Hill. Once installed, the contraflow system will allow us to keep the A14 open while we undertake the upgrade, minimising disruption for motorists. We're aware that closing a busy road like the A14 is not ideal, and we have carried out an intensive communication and engagement campaign to encourage drivers to stick to the approved diversion route, which have been chosen as it's best suited to handle the flows of traffic experienced on the A14. These diversion routes will be monitored as we carry out the preparation work. We appreciate that the overnight closures may cause delays and disruptions, and we are grateful for people's patience. One of Suffolk's best-known personalities could be remembered with a statue outside the county's most historic theatre if a fundraising campaign is successful. Roy Hard lived in Suffolk for decades before his death in March 2020. Because he died just before the first Covid lockdown was imposed, it was impossible to remember him with a memorial service at that time. Now his widow Debbie is hoping to get a statue of him installed outside the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds. It will be made by local sculptor Sean Hedges Quinn, who created the Portman Road statues of Sir Alf Ramsey and Sir Bobby Robson and Kevin Beattie. The statue will have Roy sitting on a bench, similar to the sculpture of Captain Manwaring on a bench in Thetford, which was also created by Mr Hedges Quinn. He said, I met Roy when he unveiled a statue I had made of the singer Gracie Fields in Rochdale. He was really nice, and it was great to have a chat with him. It will be a real honour to make the statue. 
The cost of the statue will be about £100,000 and fundraising has already started. A big step will come when cast members of the best-known production BBC Radio's The News Hudlines will reunite at the Sondim Theatre in London in May for a charity show to raise funds for the statue. Speaking on BBC Breakfast, Roy's widow Debbie said, I booked the memorial service three times and had to cancel it three times because of Covid. But that also gave me time to think, should I put my energies into something else rather than just one day a memorial? Why not something which will be there for many, many years? A statue of Roy outside the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds. Roy sitting on a bench. You can sit with him and have a natter and an ice cream. Roy did many shows there and we put a show together for the theatre's 200th birthday. We have that connection there. And now we're going to move on to our general news. A Suffolk school has told of its pride at having football commentator John Motson as a former pupil following his death at the age of 77. Having been born in Salford, Lancashire, in 1945, Motson spent his early youth in south-east London before his father, a Methodist minister, decided he wanted his son to attend a Methodist school, so sent him to Culford School in Bury St Edmunds. But at that time, football was frowned upon at the school, where rugby and cricket were the main sports. However, Motson found ways of coping and never lost his passion for his favourite sport. His father, Bill, used to take him to matches at weekends when he was allowed to see him. In an interview ten years ago, Motson, who was a pupil for five years, described his time there. He said, It was quite feudal, really. The game was effectively outlawed. You almost had to go and hide behind a radiator to listen to the football results. But it didn't mean I couldn't have any interest in the game, because you were allowed to go out with your parents on three Saturdays in a term, and my father used to take me to Ipswich Town or Norwich City. So I didn't lose touch with football, even though I was at a school where it was barely mentioned. However, he maintained fond memories of his time there and had attended one or two reunions. While times have certainly changed, and the school now has a well-established football academy, supported, of course, by Motson. A spokesperson for the school spoke of its pride that Motti was a former pupil. She said, Culford School was founded on Methodist principles, and as John's father was a Methodist minister, John joined the school in 1956, spending five happy years here. It was during this time he developed his passion for football, even though the teachers did not consider it a proper sport at the time. John always showed a great interest in developments at Culford <clears throat> and was clearly thrilled by our now-established football academy. He will be remembered by many as a legend of sports broadcasting and we are incredibly proud that Motti was an old Culfordian. A Bardwell-based marketing company is in the running to be named UK Small Business of the Year. Toolbox Marketing has been named a finalist for the community category of the East of England FSB, that's the Federation of Small Businesses, celebrating small business awards. With winners from category securing a spot at the prestigious UK final and a chance to be crowned the UK Small Business of the Year, it's an opportunity for the widespread recognition for the company. Throughout 2022, Toolbox Marketing supported its local community by providing pro bono design services for the Grumpy Goat in Bardwell and community events in the village, including Cars on the Green, Bardwell Village Fate and Bardfest. The firm also delivered content creation for the East Anglian Beer Festival and the Cross Keys Pub in Redgrave both run by volunteers without marketing budgets or experience. The team also launched a new website for the local branch of Women's Aid, 
as well as providing marketing advice and support to upskill their staff and volunteers. Toolbot Marketing also supports the next generation by providing work placements for a minimum of three students each year from the local schools and colleges. As well as her own time and items donated, Toolbox raises money for charities, including £354 for breast cancer, now by celebrating Wear It Pink in the Office, and £1,122 for St Nicholas Hospice Care by walking 11.2 miles. Chloe Keith, Managing Director of Toolbox Marketing, said, I'm very proud to see the hard work of all the Toolbox Marketing team being recognised by this nomination. We are very pleased to be able to help the communities we do and we will continue to support local businesses and charities as we continue to grow. The FSB Awards celebrate the achievements and contributions of small businesses and the self-employed across the UK. The high-profile FSB Celebrating Small Business Awards is the largest event of its kind in the small business calendar. A Culford football mad Chelsea football uh, Chelsea FC fan who had to wait more than two years for a chance to be a club mascot realised a dream at the weekend by stepping onto the pitch with his mum's favourite player. Josh Ford took to Chelsea FC's Stamford Bridge turf with club and England midfielder Mason Mount when his beloved Blues took on Southampton. In 2020, Josh was set to become a mascot for the club that season, but due to COVID keeping supporters out of the ground across the country, he was unable to do it. Instead, back then, Josh and other children who were also set to be mascots, were given a video call from then-Chelsea goalkeeper Willie Caballero. But on finally getting to experience being a mascot for the day, the 11-year-old said, When we got put together with players in the tunnel, I felt really shocked as I thought I was going with Mateo Kovacic. But then Mason Mount came up to me and we started walking out together. He's my mum's favourite player, and she was amazed when I came out with him. The year six Risby primary school pupil said Chelsea's number 19 asked him if he was ready for the walkout onto the pitch when they met, and when Josh asked it back to him, he said, more than ever. Dean, Josh's father, who is also a Chelsea fan, registered him with the club to be a mascot just before he was born and said it had always been a dream to see his eldest son walk out for the club. He said, I was just really proud to see Josh as a mascot. I've waited about 11 years for that and it was really great to see. The day started for Josh, who plays for Berry Town FC under 11 Colts, with him greeting the players as they arrived off their bus for the match. He said, I got to give all of them high fives as they came into the ground and said to Dad that I would never wash that hand again. Then I went pitch side and watched the team warm up and get ready for the game with the other mascots. Josh's mum Sophie said football was her son's main obsession and said the team at the club who were involved in making the day so special for its mascots were brilliant. She said, we would like to thank Chelsea FC for the day they gave Josh. It was so well organised, especially the guy in charge of all the mascots on the day. He really got them so hyped up for their special moment. A 25-year-old baker who lives in Bury St Edmunds is set to open the doors of her own bakery. Jess Ricks is working hard to get little Jesses in Newmarket ready for customers next month. After previously operating from a converted horse trailer in Newmarket and Bury, she said she could not wait to get started. I'm just so excited and it almost doesn't feel real. I genuinely can't wait and I'm so buzzing for it, she said. I don't think it has quite sunk in yet, as this is the next big step for me and it honestly is like a childhood dream. I never thought that I'd be able to do this. So to actually do it is incredible. 
I'm nervous, though, as I do want to do it well and for everyone to enjoy it. I want the customers to leave thinking it's more than just popping in for a cake, but that we're lovely and a nice place to go as well. Jess started training as a dancer when she was 16, before the pandemic, then brought the industry to a halt. As a, as a result, she took a job at Stir Bakery in Cambridge and learnt a lot from head baker John Hannan. This helped regiment her passion for baking, which is a hobby she has loved doing since she was a child. With her new shop at 5 Market Street, there is an added benefit to customers who come inside. She said, it's not a huge shop, but we have a little kitchen in there, so customers can see it, which is really nice thing, as I still want that layout. It's one thing being told it's all fresh and home-baked, but I wanted the customers to have the chance to see it and enjoy that experience. It's almost like you've got into someone's kitchen and you just feel really welcome. The little Jessie's owner enjoys the challenges of baking when it doesn't go the way she expects and said being able to overcome them was a feeling she treasured. Her recent attempts at trying a new recipe out has been successful and revealed it as her favourite food item on the shop's menu. I'd recommend the cinnamon buns because I'm making them the proper American style with the cream cheese frosting on top, she said. I've actually made a vegan one as well, which is so good. I was a bit sceptical as it was quite a long process to make it, but that's the one I'm most pleased with as a new recipe I'm trying just for the shop. And I have an absolutely lovely picture of Jess here um, beaming from, oh, right across her face and with a very proud father looking on, which is a lovely picture. A woodcraft expert is putting sustainability at the heart of his business and hopes it will help preserve the natural world for many generations to come. Michael Spedding started working full-time on his business, Riven Woodcraft, from his home in Claydon at the beginning of this year. The 37-year-old creates all manner of pieces, but mainly focuses on crafting high-quality gates and fences from sweet chestnut wood. I like to work with sweet chestnut as it fares well outdoors since it's very durable, said Mr Spedding. You can leave it for 15 to 20 years untreated and it will not rot. Mr Spedding's journey with woodcraft started six years ago when he attended a woodland management workshop run by the Green Light Trust. He started small by carving spoons and spatulas but eventually found that he had a knack for woodcraft and started making custom pieces for friends and family. Mr Spedding uses a traditional method of woodland management called coppicing which utilises the capacity of many species of trees to put out new shoots from their stump if cut down. Living in a household of five children he understands the importance of preserving nature for the next generation. I like to teach the kids about sustainability, he said. You might be able to go to B&Q and get a gate for £50, but you don't know where it's come from. I want to do something where you're able to see the supply chains and know where every piece came from. Mr Spedding works from a workshop he built himself in the back garden of his Claydon home. It has a bit of a hobbity or medieval feel, but it's my little retreat, he said. Mr Spedding said his main vision for Riven Woodcraft was to create long-lasting, rustic and unique products using sustainable and eco-friendly practices. Plans for a new cinema in Bury St Edmunds are moving forward after an application for a licence was submitted. Everyman Cinema is due to open a branch in the basement of the former Debenhams at the Ark Shopping Centre. A premark will move into the ground and first floor of the long empty department store, which shut in May 2021. A premises licence application for the cinema has been lodged with West Suffolk Council to allow the provision of plays, films, live music, 
recorded music, dance and anything of a similar description indoors from Monday to Sunday, 8am to 3am. The application said the premises will provide greater space in the auditoriums with a general multiplex cinema. It will also feature a bar and a lounge area. An opening date for the cinema, which would be the town's third alongside Abbeygate Cinema and Cineworld, has yet to be confirmed. More than a thousand people dressed in light-up bunny ears and pyjamas will be descending on Bury St Edmunds this weekend in the name of raising funds for a local hospice. The Girls' Night Out Walk in aid of St Nicholas Hospice Care, will start from Angel Hill at 6.30pm on Saturday, March the 4th. In previous years, the annual event has raised thousands of pounds for the charity as walkers tackle either a 6 or 11.2 mile route around the town. This year's walk takes the place of last year's event, which was postponed in September due to the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Charlie Demore, Hospice's event manager, said it feels amazing to have more than a thousand walkers taking part in the event. She added, Girls' Night Out is our biggest fundraising event of the year, and it makes a huge difference to the work we do to support people facing dying, caring and grief across West Suffolk and Thetford. Every step they take and every pound they raise will make a difference and we're so grateful that people have once again got behind this event. A terminally ill single mum from Bury St Edmunds married her platonic best friend on Valentine's Day after deciding she didn't want to die without having a wedding day. Kerry Kenworthy, who's 34, who has just 12 to 18 months to live, confided in her best friend, Sean Higgins, 29. She was upset about leaving her children behind and never wearing a wedding dress. The following day, Sean proposed to best pal of 10 years, Kerry, a mum of three, and the pair of them set about planning a wedding. On Valentine's Day, the two friends were married in Cambridge. Kerry, a developmental psychologist, said, It was magical and I'm so grateful that I could experience what it's like to walk down the aisle. Everything felt truly authentic and I've never felt happier. I appreciate everyone that helped out setting up the day and fundraising. I'm not scared about dying. I'm scared about leaving my daughters behind, she added. After joking about possibly marrying each other, Sean, who has a husband, went over to Kerry's a week later and proposed. Sean said, I didn't want her to miss out on such fun part of life. I know some people might not understand it, but she's my best friend. It felt strange when I'm already married, but friendship is more important. My husband loved it and supported everything. He even helped with the planning. Kerry and Sean were married in front of 70 guests by family friend Don Simpson, with her daughters Lily, Mia and Violet by her side as bridesmaids. Local businesses heard about the wedding and gifted the venue cake, food, decorations and invites. The bridesmaid dresses were donated by Rose Bridal Boutique in Bedford. Kerry's £475 lace wedding gown was bought from the same shop with her money raised between Sean and her close friends. Now we start with some letters, and appropriately my first one from Barry Peters, editor of the Barry Free Press, harks back to what you've just heard. There are a handful of stories each month which stop you in your tracks. Sad, happy, tragic, uplifting... The emotional triggers which catch us all are the ones we remember and the ones we share across social media or chat to our friends about. The story of Kerry Kenworthy was the one which hit me like a freight train this week. Kerry is terminally ill and had a desire to wear a wedding dress. But it looked unlikely that scenario would ever play out. So her platonic best friend proposed to her the very next day and the pair were quote-unquote married 
on Valentine's Day to make one of the single mum's bucket list wishes come true. Friends, businesses and well-wishers all club together to pay for the special day, her gown, the cake and the venue. At a time when the headlines are rammed with war, with killing, with social injustices and cost of living problems, this is a story is one to warm the coldest heart. My first letter is from Howard Cook and he is from Horinger. And he heads his letter, Airfield is Valuable Green Buffer. I'm writing in reply to Trevor Goodfellow's letter last week regarding incessant noise at Ruffham Airfield. The airfield is the green border at the eastern side of Bury St Edmunds and is a valuable open space with much wildlife. I particularly like the skylarks. The description in his letter made it sound like Heathrow Airport, which it certainly is not. These are light aircraft, many of which are used for training and often the starting point for airline pilots of the future. I have to declare an interest in that for many years I was involved with Ruffham and was the display director of Ruffham Airshow, which used to attract thousands of local people and had many great initiatives like free admission for children and events like Magna Carta, Freedom of the Borough and Veterans Events. And the council was very supportive. I also displayed at the air show such as in the Hawker Hurricane or Tiger Moth. Air shows are no longer possible because of the proximity of houses. Airfield operations are run safely there and under the watchful eye of the Civil Aviation Authority. Back to arable use with a first stage before <coughs> out to residential development, the bitter experience of residents of places like West Morling that initially complained about the airfield, only now to wish it was still there. Years of construction work, significantly increased traffic, infrastructure unable to cope are just part of what will come. Trevor is more than welcome to come up for a flight with me. He will be able to get a bird-eye view of what we mean by the threat to the green border of Berry. Now this is from John Dell of Shotley. If the shortages of a range of foods in our supermarkets are due primarily to poor weather in Mediterranean countries, then why is it that European Union countries reportedly have no such shortages? It's very strange that these food shortages seem to be focused on the UK. It's almost as if we've done something really silly recently that singles us out from the rest of Europe. Audrey Naylor from Ipswich writes, Sceptical about care idea. Christine Weber's article in the East Anglian Daily Times, February the 13th, astonished me. It reported a pilot scheme originating in China and seized upon by our desperate NHS via a company called Blended Learning UK. The idea apparently involves volunteers, possibly retired carers, housing patients in their own homes, that is, patients who are vulnerable or unable to manage independently on discharge from hospital. The state pension age at 66 and increasing, pensioners' alleged need to be needed is about to be exploited at a proposed rate of about £500 a week. They do say the NHS runs on goodwill, but this takes the biscuit. Presumably, this will involve theoret theoretical online training, meals, washing, bed changing, errands, dressing, medication, personal care, visitors, heating, lighting, invasion of privacy, emotional support, wear and tear. A care home would charge around double that and doubtless have established rotors, catering plans, peer support, review and medication procedures. From a patient's point of view, would they want a lone carer? Will there be relief for the volunteer? English communities are not necessarily close-knit networks 
as in Chinese society, who are famous for taking responsibility for their own elderly parents. How open-ended will the care be? I'm sorry. Kind thought in theory, but this is Dragon is out. My next letter is from Arthur Pooley of Blythborough. One can only agree with Audrey Naylor, a letter you've just heard, who is sceptical about the proposed NH use of volunteer carers. We have a magnificent British tradition of volunteering, whether in the National Trust, the RNLI, or many other contexts. There are, however, already 5 million people providing unpaid care in England and Wales, with 2.7% of the population giving more than 50 hours a week. That was in the 2021 census. So it is beyond cynical to propose yet more volunteering to replace the proper provision of state services to the older generation in need of help after a lifetime's work. And my next letter is also from Arthur Pooley from Blythburgh. And this letter is headed Inflation Figures Messaging. UK inflation falls to six-month low of 10.1%. Hands up anybody who thinks this means prices going down in the shops. My last letter comes from Clifford Davy of Stowmarket. Many things are altered nowadays to avoid some sensitive souls being offended. In my years, being what is known as vertically challenged, I have laughed off such instances of being referred to as gnome or leprechaun. In fact, one of my grown-up granddaughters affectionately texts to my lovely gnome, made even more amusing because she cannot always remember if to spell it with a G or a K. Recently, though, I was called a little mischievous person, which I took as a compliment rather than an insult. The recent censorship of Roald Dahl books does seem to bring the issue to a head, although I suspect worse is yet to come. What was it about laugh and the world laughs with you? Uh, and lastly, um, on social media, people gave their opinions after news that plans for a new cinema in Bury St Edmunds were moving forward after an application for a licence was submitted. And we read about that earlier. Everyman Cinema is due to open a branch in the basement of the former Debenhams at the Ark Shopping Centre with a Primark moving into the ground and first floors of the long empty department store, which shut in May 2021. And these are the comments. From Suzanne Drummond said, Why permission was given for this complete waste of money, I don't know. Nobody wants or need a third cinema. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Martin added, I'm going to stick with going to Abigate Cinema. Love it there. Michael D. Moore was not happy. He said, Another white elephant with the cost of living crisis. No need for a third cinema, bar and nightclub in town. Be nice for those living there with chuckling out time at 3am with all that that brings. Linda Mead said, Great, we are getting a Primark, but we don't need another cinema unless it's cheaper than Cineworld. And lastly, from Mark Bowen, wished for something else. He said, Turn the place into an indoor market and have a load of different food vendors in there as well. This town needs to do something to draw the people in. Now I have a feature article. This is uh, written by local historian, author and tour guide Martin Taylor, who has trawled through his archive to find some of his favourite Bury St Edmunds pictures and stories from the past. High up on a wall, dividing numbers 19 and 20 Abigate Street, is a fire mark, the only genuine one in the town. It is a vestige of when the building's owner in the 19th century insured his property against fire. 
Before the advent of municipal fire brigades, by insuring your property with an insurance company, you could use their fire brigade within the town. In Berry's case, it was stationed in Whiting Street. The Royal Insurance Company was founded in 1845 in Liverpool, hence the liver bird on this fire mark. Similar to a cormorant, it is holding a sprig of broom in its beak, broom being the symbol of the Plantagenet family which ruled England from 1154 to 1485. The Latin name for broom is Planta Genista, and that's where the family name originated. A member of that dynasty, King John, had granted Liverpool a royal charter in 1207. An alternative theory is that the liver bird, a mythical creature and the symbol of Liverpool, is normally represented by a cormorant and appears as such on the city's arms, bearing a branch of laver seaweed in its beak as a further pun on the name Liverpool. I much prefer the first theory. 20 Abigate Street, W.H. Collis and Sons, was probably the oldest business in the town, and Mr. Collis opened a jeweller's here in 1805, although the property itself dates from around 1720. It has a flying freehold with number 19. Maybe the premium paid to the royal was by a member of the Collis family protecting their investments. The shop front was designed by a London shop fitter, Sage, of Clerkenwell, in 1897. Its founder, Frederick Sage, was born in 1830 at Freston, near Ipswich. This may well have been why, being a relatively local man, he was contracted to install, at the same time, the display cases, still in evidence up to 2012. After Frederick's death in 1898, his company, now run by his son and three nephews, would go on to carry out the prestigious refit of Harrods department store in Knightsbridge. The trading name of Collis continued with its purchase in 1921 by William Miles, passing to his daughter and then on to her son, Peter Aves. He was one of the last owners of a business in Bury to occupy his shop premises. Sadly, after a botched burglary, he was murdered here in 2012. Number 20 would then become 6, a men's upmarket clothiers, and when this finished, it became, after another internal refit, lipstick and locks, hair and beauty salon. The fire mark was restored in 1984 by Chelmsford Technical College at the behest of Brian Jenkins, the manager of the then-adjacent Anglia Building Society at number 19, the building subsequently becoming a Corals bookmaker and now awaiting a new tenant. And my feature is from Camille Berryman and she gives her personal view. It was a moment I had long anticipated, and on Wednesday it finally arrived, the reopening of Market Thoroughfare. Maybe, definitely, I need to get out more, but I've been keen to see the long-awaited link between old and the new town centres, partly to have a nose at what's been going on behind the hoardings in place since September 2020 but mostly to make life a little more convenient. No longer will I have to strategically plan my route from the Ark to Cornhill with a clear vision of what shops I intend to visit and use either Central Walk or Brent Govel Street accordingly. Now I can simply blaze a trail using whichever route is most convenient or maybe even, shock horror, go to old from you and back to old again rather than just think I can't be bothered to walk around as I have done on more than one occasion. Market thoroughfare is now more than 50% wider and I'm happy to report it looks better than the narrow, dark and dilapidated route of yesteryear. I know there will be plenty of moaning minis about negative about the new link on social media and maybe our letters pages too but I'm going to stick my neck out and say I think it's an improvement. Admittedly, the now shabby coral side is a stark contrast to the shiny glass on the ground floor of the post office redevelopment opposite, 
And of course, in an ideal world, the 1960 buildings alongside would be demolished to open up the whole area. But back in the real world, the new market thoroughfare gets the thumbs up from me. Residents in a Suffolk village were shocked and upset to find the trees around their pond were suddenly being cut down. <coughs> Those living in Cow Green near Backton <coughs> excuse me, have said that they were shocked to find that the trees were being felled, but the parish council say they were advised to take action after the vegetation was choking the pond and diminishing the water quality. Cow Green resident Liz Baton said the area was completely surrounded by trees and vegetation and home to quite a lot of wildlife, including about 20 ducks. There was no communication with the locals who lived there and we have been unable to find anything about it on the parish website except thinning of the trees. What they have done is whole-scale removal. The properties who face onto a cow green. I know that the first they knew about this was when the trees were being pulled out at the beginning of this week. It was really upsetting when I went past to see what a horrible state it was in. A spokesperson from Backton Parish Council said that felling was necessary for the area and that results always look a little stark until after the first growing season, but they are confident that the area will soon be able to support both avian and aquatic wildlife once again. The spokesperson said, The situation is that the water quality at the pond at Cow Green had become very poor and the area had become overgrown and choked. We were advised by Suffolk Wildlife Trust that the area should be cleared right back to allow us much light as possible onto the pond. And so this is the work that we commissioned. While I gather that a small number of residents were not aware of the works in advance, I know that others had looked at the information that the council disseminates as I received communication from quite a few residents a couple of months ago expressing pleasure that the work was to happen. And I have had positive feedback since. The spokesperson added that it is not always possible to communicate with every household directly about works being done, but decisions taken at meetings are published in four different places around the village as well as online, and residents are welcome at their meetings. A Suffolk care home is appealing to the community to send <clears throat> 101 cards to celebrate a resident's 101st birthday. Irene Pilborough will be marking the milestone on March the 19th and the care home hopes to reach the number of her age in birthday cards. Miss Pilborough, in a resident of Chiltern Meadows Buper Care Home on Union Road in Stowmarket, she will be celebrating the occasion with an afternoon tea at Nary's Garden Centre with her best friend Mandy, followed by a homemade cake and watching her favourite documentary, The Queen, with her fellow residents. The hundred-year-old said that her advice on how to live a long and happy life includes how to act towards others. The one thing that has always stood me in good stead has been kind and compassionate to everyone. I'm thoroughly looking forward to my 101st birthday, especially afternoon tea with Mandy. Amanda Della Bruyere, home manager at Hilton Meadows, said, We are really looking forward to celebrating Irene's birthday with her. We are hoping to receive as many cards as possible to show her how truly special she is. She is incredibly important to us at Chiltern Meadows to celebrate our residents' milestones as it really boosts their physical and mental well-being. Miss Pilborough grew up in Birmingham before moving to Needham Market. One of her greatest hobbies was always been working with textiles and in haberdashery, a passion that she has continued since moving to Chiltern Meadows as a member of the Care Home's weekly Knitter Natter Club, where she knits cardigans and blankets to donate to babies and families at the neonatal unit. If you would like to send a card to Irene, please address it to Irene Pilborough, Chiltern Meadows Buper Care Home, Union Road, 
Stone Market, IP 141HL. Bury St Edmunds Model Railway Club is set to host its first show since lockdown at the town's Guildhall, with a layout modelled after the Ipswich docks set for exhibition. Seven traders are scheduled to attend the show, which will feature seven model railway layouts for the public to view. These include a layout modelled after Baton Bridge, as well as two interactive features for children to play with. A key attraction is Cobbold's Wharf, based on a section of the Ipswich docks as it was in the 1950s. The model engines and rail stock used in this piece are built from scratch and the layout was featured in the National Model Railway Exhibition at the Birmingham NEC last year. The creation of the layout was the responsibility of a team led by Frank Wright. Mr Wright said, We obviously can't model the whole of the docks to this scale as it would be too big to move about. However, I think we have captured the feeling of the dock and its old buildings quite well. Matthew Porteous, the Model Railways Club's chairman, said, Holding the exhibition in the town centre again is an exciting development for us and we are hoping that it will attract families with children as well as the more traditional modeller. The show is being held on Saturday, March the 25th at the Guildhall in Guildhall Street and will be open to the public between 10 and 4. Entry is £5 per head with children under the age of 10 able to attend for free. More than £1,000 <coughs> was raised for charity at Tesco in Stonemarket over the weekend with the help of a popular cat. Oscar is a cat who is often found in the click and collect selection of Tesco supermarket, greeting customers and staff. This weekend he was at the store giving a helping hand to Helen Chapman, the Marie Curie community fundraiser for Suffolk. On Friday and Saturday, the Marie Curie Great Daffodil Appeal stall at the shop raised £1,227 which would pay for seven nights of Marie Care Curie Care. The stall was provided <coughs> with the support of the Stone Market and District Lions Club. Helen Chapman, community fundraiser for Norfolk and Suffolk, said, As Oscar was present, we were trying to get him involved. I think I need to do this more often. He's got more than 400 likes on the post. We raised £1,227, which is fantastic. We would obviously like to thank Oscar for his support. Oh, I do love cats. Seeing him there and making a fuss of him. My own cat sadly died a few years ago. I just find pets really calming as well. The number of people who are making a fuss of him, you can see why he always stays there all the time. He was an absolute sweetheart. A real thank you to the Lions, the people of Stone Market Tesco and Oscar for pulling together to raise awareness. The awareness that Oscar has raised has been amazing. Marie Curie provides care for people living with a terminal illness. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or any difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, the Haverhill Echo and New Market Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Liz, Colin... Sue and Neil, it's goodbye. Goodbye.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.